It's that time again. Today, we're doing a community mailbag show. Welcome to the Couple Money Podcast, where we're focused on helping spouses get on the same page, dump their debt faster, and get on the path to financial freedom together. Support for this podcast comes from 5 Days to 5K Course. A big headache for many couples in the community is they know what they need to do. They need to knock down this debt or save up for a big goal. The question is, where does this money come from? Budget's tight. So I designed a free week-long course that will show you step-by-step how to find, save, and make some extra money. And it's broken down into manageable chunks because I know we are all busy. You can sign up at couplemoney.com slash 5k. I can't believe that October is pretty much over, but what a great way to wrap it up. We're going to do a community mailbag show. This is where we take a break from our regular episodes, which usually deal with one topic and instead tackle several of your marriage and money questions in smaller bites. In this episode, we get into how to handle the costs of having a baby dealing with disabilities and finances, and what to do when the typical personal finance advice doesn't apply. Let's dive in. How much should we save up for a baby? That's a question I get for people that are typing in to Google and then they find our site over at Couple Money. And I totally get it. When we first found out where we're gonna be parents, We were researching and trying to find how much we should be saving up, what bills to expect, and how to best prepare. And to be honest, some of the numbers I saw were pretty scary. If you've seen those reports from the USDA, I think they're kind of ridiculous. I've seen them put down over $200,000 to raise a child from 0 to 18. That's not counting college expenses. And when you dig in deeper you definitely have to push back on some of the assumptions that they make, but it is vital to look at it and consider some costs that you expect in your circumstances to get. For us, it wasn't that bad, but, and I would say it wasn't that long ago, our youngest is three, but I do know there have been plenty of changes in the last few years when it comes to expenses, especially healthcare. So I wanted to reach out to some new parents Julia and Philip Olson were kind enough to give their take and perspective. I originally discovered them through the Art of Finance, where they help people gain control of their finances by breaking it down into understandable situations. They're also the couple behind PBS's series, Two Cents. It's a weekly show about personal finance for millennials and Gen Z. And so we talked about what it took for them to become comfortable enough and ready enough to be parents financially, and what happens when you have those unexpected expenses that come up. You guys are pretty financially savvy, more than the average couple. So when you found out um, that you're expecting a little one on the way, what were some of the initial conversations you guys were having about like finances? We've been together for a pretty long time before we decided to start to have children so mm-hmm. we've we you know we've known each other for 11 or 12 years before we even started trying and we kind of wanted to wait until we were a specific point in our 
lives and careers um, mm-hmm. to where we could put that stuff on the back burner a little bit and focus on the energy and finances of having a new baby. The first number, kind of the most important number we fixated on was our kind of maximum out of pocket for the medical costs. Right. Uh, we essentially figured out what that would be for essentially two years because it mm-hmm. kind of spans. Right. Uh, d- unless you're lucky and I guess get pregnant in the spring, um, you will probably have to pay at least one, maybe two years worth deductible. So we started saving like crazy as soon as we figured out that Julia was pregnant and um, we wanted to be able to fund that without dipping into our emergency fund and without um, having to put it on credit cards or anything like that. Yeah. And so fortunately at the same time, we um, you know, started getting uh, income from a second project we were working on. And yeah. instead of going mm-hmm. out and buying a car mm-hmm. or upgrading the house, we're like, it's just going straight into this and maybe mm-hmm. we'll put too much in. And we erred on the side of having too much so that once all the dust kind of settled, we got a little bit back. And we didn't have really a lot of lead time to, to like save up something. Cause I mean, like, like you said, I mean, we've been married 10 years at the time that we got pregnant and, um, and once we decided to sort of open that door, if you will, two months later, I was pregnant, which I was not expecting. And so like the month that we decided that we, we added a little tiny little fund line item in our budget that said baby Olson. And we put like 200 bucks in there. (laughs) So when I was, I I was, you know, thinking, you know, at least six months, maybe a year, maybe never. That's cool. Like, you know, because we've always wanted to adopt as well. And so I was totally open to that. And so we did not get a lot of lead time, but it just so happened, um, you know, thankfully that this kind of other project, other source of income opened up as well, but we could have made it work without that too. You know, we just decided like, this is where it's going. Gotcha. So were you saying like for the baby fund, you kind of use that out of pocket maximum as your, Mm -hmm. as our goal. Yeah. Yeah, Kind of like our benchmark, like our first, because that's the first sort of known expense that you have of like, okay, medical costs. Like what the heck is this going to be? And starting to wrap your head around it, it takes a couple of months, you know, because like nobody even sees you for a while. And, Mm -hmm. and so you're just kind of taking your best guess. (laughs) Can you, can you, remember what that was for a year? Uh, yeah. So I remember, um, where I ended up going was like my maternal care was like 2000, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for all of that. And then I decided that I wanted to be at a birth center and not at a hospital. And so that had a set fee, which was helpful. So, and that was like mm, 3,600 or something like that. So those were kind of the first goals that, I knew I wanted to fund um, prior to doing pretty much anything else. So we knew that when uh, our daughter arrived that we really, once we'd hit the deductible amount, mm-hmm. we could kind of rest a little easier, whatever ended up happening. As far as medical expenses yeah. goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if were, yeah, if it got more complicated or right. if uh, you know there's more expenses than we, we anticipated, at least that biggest part, we, you know, Saving up for that in nine months was a little stressful, but we made it work. And um, then, you know, during the pregnancy, fortunately, so many of the other expenses as far as clothes, cribs, diapers, and so forth, um, we got a lot of that just given to us from friends who had kids who 
aged out of it. Mm -hmm. So we avoided a lot of that cost just by uh, having generous friends and being willing to take secondhand stuff. I mean, it almost makes no sense to go out and buy that anymore. So I know pretty much. I'm yeah, a I big mean, fan. It's so much pressure. Like mm -hmm. you get the lists and you go to, you know, what's it? The nest, you know, oh, yeah. like that. It's like, here's what you need to have. And it's a list of 75, a hundred items. And oh yeah. I was like, this is a six to eight pound baby. <laughs> they yeah. sleep and poop. It's crazy. And I mean, honestly, the, cause, and there were other expenses also like tangential expenses that didn't really have to do with the baby, but like I was super uncomfortable. So like I wanted to go to the chiropractor, like yeah. I needed a massage like every now and then just to sort of, you know, keep up and not like completely physically deteriorate. Um, so that's probably the part that I've been the most um, surprised by. Um, yeah. It's just like all the tangential stuff that isn't necessarily clothes for the baby or, you know, the medical expenses. There's a bunch of stuff kind of around it that because this baby is in our lives, we now do X. Yeah. Yeah. Now you guys also um, have your own business, correct? Yeah. I mean, saving up for that, I know can be a challenge for me. I work from home. And so that was kind of like, I have no idea how I'm going to feel like how fast I'm going to go back to work or so forth. Cause you know, it's, mm -hmm. at that time it was like mainly writing and the podcasting on the side. So it wasn't physically strenuous, but you know, baby sleep schedules, how that affects you. Did you guys one kind of plan for that for work? Like what was the original and what's going on now mm -hmm. with how your schedule is? Yeah, you're 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 already kind of, uh, you know, thinking ahead of far as far as like it doesn't actually pan out. Right. So we yeah. had actually thought we'd be back and working with clients at least half time by like two months. Mm -hmm. That probably would have worked, except that Julia got an infection a couple of different times, mm. and that set us way back and mm -hmm. we have to kind of scrap our plans. And so the really the main week that Julia was kind of back and meeting our clients, even half time, uh, she ended up getting sick again. And so we had to basically uh -huh. scrap that essentially that whole week um, for both of us so that I could take care of the baby so that she could recover. Yeah. And so that's the kind of stuff you just don't know. Yeah. You can't, I mean, you really yeah. can't plan for that. I mean, it was just, I mean, I would say though, like our original plan was that we, you know, I would be back in action half time, you mm -hmm. know, at about two, two and a half months. And we, we pretty much hit that, which is pretty cool. Um, it would have ramped up, um, easier had I not constantly been getting sick, but, Can't uh, help that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. We, um, we essentially shut down the business to new clients for three months. Right. Okay. And that um, would have, I would say essentially have been impossible a few years back. Mm -hmm, uh, definitely. And so, you know, in hindsight, if, if, you know, we can do it perfect every time trying to do a major life transition, like starting a business or having a kid, Ideally, you're not doing both of those the same, no, same year. No, don't do that. <laughs> I'm very glad our business is as mature as it was mm -hmm. yeah. for us to make that pivot because, um, you know, it was not super stressful. We had a couple of really yeah. wonderful, reliable employees who kept things going smoothly. We had the cash flow from existing clients who were very understanding of kind of what was happening. So 
that was actually really ideal and uh, how smoothly that all went. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, that. but that's fantastic. I, I think that's also the point, like, there's no way to anticipate all kinds no. of things. Like, no, you can't. And I knew that at the time, too. So I, I, well, I'm you giving know, myself a bit of grace. It's kind of hard. Like, I knew at, from friends, like, listen, you have right. no idea. It could be during the pregnancy. It can be after. It can be both. You have, you know, right. unexpected. And you're thinking, okay. And if you have, like, a smooth part of it, you think, oh, the whole thing's going to be Definitely. Yeah, but it, it does happen. But you guys at least had some savings. So while, yeah, I'm sure it like affected your finances, you still had that time and energy to devote towards your daughter and not stress out as much as, you know, sometimes Definitely. when you don't have that savings. Yeah, I mean, the the the, the key in making mm-hmm. all of this work is the fact that we live below our means. <laughs> that is literally yes. the only way you can do this because you know, basically the gap between our spending mm-hmm. and our income, you know, prior to having a kid, it was going to other things. It was going to vacations and going to mm-hmm. fixing things in our house and doing that kind of stuff. Right. And then when you have a kid, it just that, you know, that cash flow um, just changed. Um, mm-hmm. But, and so if we didn't have to go into savings or anything like that, thankfully. The yeah. surprise expense for us that I didn't anticipate, as Julia said, is what we ended up lab- labeling our mama comfort fund within <laughs> our budget. <laughs> nice. Um, because definitely the third trimester and then a couple months after birth, there was just like general not things that wouldn't be covered by medical insurance, right. but were really kind of essential for kind of her sanity. And yeah. Quality of life. life. Yeah. So, you know, doula and birth coach and massages and lactation know, consultants, lactation consultants <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and so that, all that kind of stuff, we, yeah, if, if we were to do it all over again from scratch, yeah, we'd probably end up putting 500 to a $1,000 a month for that kind of stuff so that mm-hmm. we could fund that and not be surprised because that yeah. stuff I think is, is can add up quick. Definitely. Gotcha. So did you, I know your baby's only three months or about three yeah, months. She yeah. She was just three months yesterday. Oh, congratulations. Oh my goodness. Hey. Have you noticed you guys having conversations about, okay, moving to a bigger house or pressure from friends mm. like, Oh, now you have a little one, you know, need to have a spare room or grandparents just gently <laughs> nudging you. <laughs> like, let you guys switch the cars up. Uh, have you had those conversations? I mean, there's been a little bit of that, but honestly, yeah. like, I think we, there are times where I'm like, you know what? It would be nice to have just a third room. Cause we have, you know, we have a small house. We've got two, two bedrooms, two baths. That's it. Yeah. Um, but honestly, not really. I mean, my, our parents know at this point, you know, how, <laughs> uh, you know, our lifestyle and, and the kind of choices we make. And they've, they've been really supportive, honestly. And, um, you know, as far as cars go, yeah, we have, we have older cars. And so yeah. it's about that time for my car. And so, you know, started looking around, um, and I'm thinking, you know, well, do I really need, you know, I kind of got this pressure of like, I need some more space in this car, just space. Right. Yeah. And so it was like, why do we need that space? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think that lifestyle creep. Yeah, you know, with our financial advising clients, it, it, it's mm-hmm. almost it's almost like you don't notice it because getting a minivan, it doesn't feel like a luxurious, right? It's not or like, like a bigger yeah. house. It's like yeah. it's it almost feels like it's mandatory, mm-hmm. but 
Mm -hmm. you know this little this little kiddo is like 12 pounds like she's like a foot and a half long yeah she (laughs) doesn't need it it's more for you and Mm -hmm. we and as julia said before she even came along we've been very very um we tried to to make it very clear to our community and our friends and our family that like we're okay with having a small modest house. We're okay having reliable used cars and not the newest and best everything because that means that saving for Clementine's college account. Yeah. Like we've already started. Like it wasn't even a thing because awesome. We do that. Being able to go through this whole process without accruing any debt at all. That's possible because we made it clear to everyone that that's like, that's not what we do. And we have family members that, you know, they, they might be, um, have different values on that kind of stuff, yeah. but nobody has really pressured no. us about this, um, which has been great. I think we kind of front ran it a little bit to say like, we're going to do this affordably, but in a way that provides for her and not really do any excess. And no one's really had an issue with that. How many times have you heard personal finance is personal? Probably too many to count, but it's true. While there are certain financial principles that are universal, spend less than you earn, you don't want to be so hard and fast with the rules. If you've emailed me about a particular situation, first off, thank you. You've probably noticed a couple things. I like to ask follow-up questions, and it's not because I'm nosy, but I want to make sure that whatever answer I give you, that it's tailored to your situation. And it's really helpful to be more specific in those circumstances rather than give you a quick solution. And sometimes that means telling you stuff that a typical financial writer doesn't. For example, depending on a situation with your relationship or maybe something going on with work, I might tell you to ease back on paying down debt so that you can grow your emergency fund. Because your particular circumstance might mean you have to tweak the rules a little bit. And something that I don't think is covered, but a lot of people are dealing with now is this intersection of handling your personal finances when you have some health issues that come up, which is what I want to cover today. A few of you have sent in questions about how do you handle your day-to-day finances when you're dealing with medical expenses, specifically when you, your spouse, or your child has a disability. Bryn Conroy has a new book out, The Feminist Financial Handbook. And one of the chapters, she goes in on the challenges of finances when you, your spouse, your child has a disability. And she talks about some resources and ideas that have helped others. And one resource in her book she mentioned that I wasn't aware of was ABLE accounts. I asked her about how they worked and also why sometimes those financial rules of thumb have to be tweaked. I saw something in your book that jumped out at me. I didn't even know this was a resource. And I'd like to think like I'm semi-informed with personal finances, but there's so much that I'm not aware of. And so I wanted to know some of the challenges that you've seen while doing the research for this book about income. And especially if you're trying to get like medical coverage for your child, the, the limits on assets and how that affects families. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that is going to vary depending on where you live. Um, Some states let anybody under the age of 18 or 21 um, get on Medicaid. No problem. Doesn't matter what the parents make. uh, You, your child will have coverage. Um, 
But <laughs> there are other states that explicitly don't do that and explicitly will only provide coverage for your child if you fall under income levels. And those income levels are based on fed, the federal poverty line. Um, so there's a lot of families out there who can't necessarily afford the expense that comes along with having a child with a disability, but their state's also offering no help to them. Um, I was telling you uh, a little a little bit ago that I actually have a guide for parents. Um, if you're looking at different states, you can just go through there and see like, okay, what kind of coverage does this state provide or that state provide? And that's really helpful when you're looking at things like maybe you yeah. have a job offer and you have two on the table um, and you're trying to figure out where you should lo- relocate. A major thing that's going to have an effect on your finances is your access to Medicaid. I understand on a level what maybe they think they're doing uh, when you have like these programs and they have the income, but the reality is it's very expensive to take care of medical expenses. I mean, especially if you have a child that needs um, a therapist, whether that's, you know, physical, you know, occupational, emotional, you need specialists. You you have to have a team, right? It it takes a, a village to raise a child, any child. Um, and when you're talking about any kind of medical assistance, it, you could on paper be making decent income, but that quickly gets wiped away if you're paying out of pocket. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have a kid who's in therapy four days a week outside of school. Uh, one month, we mm-hmm. actually had a problem where Medicaid got um, denied for them. And it was, it was a nightmare. Like I got the bills sent to me, even though like I reapplied and like a month later they took care of it because they messed up and I, I had to ride them to kind of get them to reimburse those bills. It did, it did end up working out, but the amount of money just for therapies, like that my kid needs to live and get by in this world were just astronomical. Like even if I made five times what I make today, I would not be able to afford it. There's a frustration because with a lot of benefits, there's a like asset test. Yes. Right. And I mean, they look at everything, they comb everything. And it's like, you can't even have a proper, proper emergency fund. Yeah. You know, (laughs) but what I loved about your book is that you offer some solutions, some practical things that families can do to get a better financial footing. And I didn't hear about the ABLE account until I read your book. Do you mind kind of getting into like what that is and how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So whenever you are disabled particularly, you kind of live like yourself individually. Um, you kind of lived in for you live in forced poverty. Because one of the main benefits that you need to collect just to have enough income, not even enough income to get by, is SSI benefits. The last time I checked, those were just over $700 per month, which is not a lot. Um, And if you can work out and go and get more money, that's great and cool and everything. But if you can't, then earning even a little bit of money on top of that is going to affect how much you're able to bring home each month in those benefits. Mm Mm-hmm. That's based largely on income. So what the ABLE accounts don't help too much with that. But there are other benefits that 
some states taught to asset tests, which is like your emergency fund. In some states, it's even um, a second car if you are a family, if you, uh, the value of that car is counted towards the asset limit. Um, these tests have been decreasing steadily over the past 10 years. Um, there's far less of them than they used to be, but they do still exist. So like when you're going to apply for benefits, yeah, you, uh, if you have too much savings built up, then you are not going to get those benefits. And that's a problem. If you need healthcare, that's a problem. If you need food, that's a problem. If you need all housing, all of these yeah. things. So what an ABLE account does is it allows you and your family members to stash money into that account, build up savings, and then it can be used for anything anything related to your disability. That includes things like rent. That includes things like next month's electricity bill. That includes things like college, because these are technically five to nine accounts. Mm -hmm. um, and it also includes big things like maybe there's a piece of medical equipment that insurance is refusing to pay for. Um, you can save the money in there without having it directly impact your other benefits. It's, it's good to know what your options are. For sure. And then I also liked in that chapter, something that I think isn't discussed as much as it should be. Melanie's done a fantastic job last month. She's talking about like a depression and, and finances and suicide and the link and isn't specific financial advice for those that are dealing with like a mental illness or if they're having a depressive episode, you have no control over that. Um, and, and it does have an impact on your finances. You brought in, make sure I have this, Abigail Perry and how they do their finances with the, the idea of a flexible budget. Exactly, exactly. And for Abigail, one big thing for them was convenience spending. Mm -hmm. uh, some days she and her husband just don't have the energy to go and do grocery shopping. So they'll pick up a few things that they need at the drugstore. But when you do that, it's a little bit more expensive. Um, so you're paying essentially a convenience tax, quote unquote. Um, maybe you have a great meal plan ready to go, but by the time you get to 5 p.m., your energy levels are just shot and yeah. you can't bring yourself to cook dinner rather than not eating, you might order something in. Um, so there are real, 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 real things that like, it's easy to say like, oh, well, just don't eat out ever. Um, and if you aren't dealing with those mental health issues, it's pretty easy to, to make that argument and kind of shame people. But in real life, sometimes that's what needs to happen to make I don't know, to eat or to get by or to just be able to cope with the day. Um, I also talked to a woman named Heather Watkins and she has, oh, I don't want to mess it up now, but she has a physical disability and she was talking about how she conserves not just her money because she does live in one of these households that is affected by how much money she brings in every month. She lives in a form of forced poverty because of the system that's set up. And she was talking about how she doesn't just budget her money, but she budgets her energy. Mm. And that in turn helps, kind of helps her with that flexible budgeting, um, building in enough in her budget to say, hey, you know, I might not have the energy to get X, Y, and Z done. So I might have to pay for someone to bring me my groceries. And that's just a physical thing that 
is a part of my life and I have to budget for, and I can't spend all of my energy doing the grocery shopping because if I do that, I may not be able to make all the phone calls I need to make to get my health insurance straight or to pay the bills. Or she also serves as a caretaker to her father. Um, and there's just so much that goes into it that even on that limited budget, you kind of have to build in a little wiggle room mm-hmm. so that when the when you're just meeting day-to-day challenges, you have the financial capability to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brent. I, I think these conversations are important. Uh, one, for practical reasons, having the resources out there, knowing where you can reach out. And yes, it is a process, especially if you're trying to get some benefits to take care of your family or child properly. Um, but but it's good to have that practical information. And I love that you have at the end of each chapter, uh, take action. Um, you yes. know, and, and practical to do advice, but more importantly, just having these conversations, because even if we're not directly affected, there is a very good chance our friends, our families, our neighbors are affected this way. It makes us more aware, hopefully more empathetic. Before we close up, I want to focus on some key takeaways I got talking with Julia, Philip, and Bryn. The first one is it's impossible to plan for everything. It would be great if we could save exactly enough for what we need, but it doesn't always work that way. Something that's less stressful but still effective is getting an idea of the ballpark of expenses to expect. The second is build your tribe and support network. Life happens, things come up, and besides having your finances squared away, one of the best things you could do is make sure you have a support network around you. And also be there for your friends, families, and loved ones too. We can not only give practical assistance, maybe, you know, if you have friends that just had a baby and they're needing some items, you can pass down some stuff, but also just letting them know that they're not alone and that they can get through this. And then finally, focus on the big picture and appreciate your small wins. Sometimes we can get frustrated we're not making the progress that we want. But we have to look at the big picture. Are we moving in the right direction? And yes, we'll have some setbacks, but make sure you also appreciate the small wins that you have. I'd love to discuss this more, hear your stories. If you haven't already, please join us over at Thriving Families on Facebook. It's a free, private, and positive community where we help one another out. You can join by heading over to couplemoney.com slash FB. Thank you so much for listening and special thanks to our guests for coming on and helping me answer your questions. I'll have links to them. That way you can reach out. And as always, I'll have all the resources we mentioned today, plus more, including the newly updated Couple Money Toolkit with the best apps to show you how to manage your money easier. It's all in the show notes at Couple Money. Our theme song was written by Gentle Regime. Additional music by Lee Rosevere. And most importantly, I just want to say again, thank you for sending in your questions, for being a part of the community, for listening to this podcast. I really appreciate it. If you found this episode helpful or another episode helpful, please share it with your friends. I want to help couples make the conversation about money easier and help them get on the same page faster. I hope you have a great week. Take care. <laughs>